Hello, welcome to today's edition of Juicy the Numbers, your movies and TV podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Tracing. And I'm Corwin Heller. And uh, this weekend, Corwin and I watched 2007's There Will Be Blood, and I lost the year, but I think it was 2017's Beautiful Boy. Corwin, are you 2018? Corwin, are you ready to talk about him? I am. Uh, I was honestly kind of because we keep, you know, questioning what movies we say we're gonna pick, um, and I was like ninety percent certain that uh, you knew it was Beautiful Boy, and I knew it was Beautiful Boy, and that's what we both mutually agreed on. But there was that ten percent there that I was like, that would be really fucking funny if we watched two different movies. So I wasn't gonna bring it up, but we got it right. Yeah, I was like very. Um, so I don't know if you listened to the last episode, but like we had both forgotten to even pick them, and then we both panic picked them at the end. And mm-hmm. then I walked away from that episode thinking to myself, "All right, good, we snuck them in under the wire," and then didn't think to like <laughs> retain what they just were. Right. And then I had a existential crisis like Friday or Saturday, some shit. And- Texas Corwin, what the fuck his pick was. So it's good. It's good. We're we're moving and grooving over here. Um, which one of these two do you want to talk about first? Uh, once again, I just finished. There will be blood. Uh, like ten minutes before we sat down to record. So All right, that would be the fresh one in my mind. Cool, 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 cool. Let's start with that. Uh, there will be blood. Two thousand seven, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring. Daniel Day Lewis, Paul and Paul Dano, probably most uh, uh, get the most uh, screen time anyway. People that we would know. Um, this film had a estimated twenty five million dollar budget. It grossed worldwide seventy six million, so a raging success. Uh, this film was nominated for two, four, six, eight Oscars, winning two of them. It won for Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role for Daniel Day-Lewis and Best Cinematography for Robert Elswit. It was also nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year, Best Achievement in Directing, Best Writing Adapted Screenplay, Best Achievement in Film Editing, Best Achievement in Art Direction, and Best Achievement in Sound Editing. Corwin, what'd you think? I enjoyed it. Uh, This is... Uh, different from the past couple movies we've watched because I have seen this in full multiple times before viewing this. Um, It's always been a movie that I've enjoyed and thought was beautifully done, but has never really been one of those favorites that I go back to. Um, I kind of, while watching it, it kind of reminded me of The Irishman. This is an epic that I'm very glad I'm experiencing. I can appreciate it in real time but it's not going to be one that I'm ever going to sit down and be like, what do I want to watch tonight? So there will be blood night. You know, it's, it's, it's something you experience every couple of years that I'm probably not going to go back and think on, uh, but it's still something I can, you know, honestly say was an enjoyable movie. This is, um, this is one of my favorite movies. Really? Um, it, I love this movie. Love it. It's got, so, so I'll address a few things. This is Irishman like only in that it is also long. <laughs> it's very long, very drawn out. But the thing is, I actually find the pacing of this to be so well done. Um, and it reminds me in a lot of aspects of like 
old timey filmmaking combined with modern filmmaking. You know, you see a lot of like Jonathan Houston style stuff um, crammed in with a bunch of a lot more like modern techniques with the cinematography and art direction. And plus that coupled with Daniel Day Lewis's fucking superb acting oh, uh, yeah. is just amazing. Um, I treasure this movie for those reasons, but like you said with the Irishman, this is not a movie I usually go back to frequently only because there is uh, not a shred of happiness in it and <laughs> it's long. And those two things make me like not want to watch it all the time, but I haven't seen it like in a handful of years. So getting the chance to rewatch it was actually wonderful. I'm so glad I, I sat down and, and um, had the opportunity to force myself to sit down and watch it because I was reminded how much I fucking love this, this fucking movie. Hmm. Um, so let's, let's get into it a little bit. Um, yeah. What's the first note you wrote down? Just out of curiosity. Um, the first note I had was just discussing how uh, immediately it jumped out how much this is going towards the show don't tell just uh, mindset. The first 15, I checked the time, the first 15 minutes of the film doesn't have a single word of spoken dialogue. Yep, yep. 14 and a yep. half minutes. I did the same thing. Yeah. Nice. Um, but you know exactly what's going on. You know exactly where he is in his life and the uh, the problems he's facing, um, how things are stacked against him, what he has going for him, what he has going against him. Uh, you know so much about the character, about his dedication, his work ethic, his um, just absolute craze about oil. Uh, I feel like that could be worded better. It's just he has this this unbearing focus on what he's doing. And in 14 and a half minutes, I feel like you know just enough or just the same amount about this character as you do about an hour and a half into this. Um, and there are there are some jumps here that you, know, you have with character development that uh, I have notes on. But in the grand scheme of things, 90% of plain view you have in those 14 minutes yeah i will say one thing that i think makes uh, a good setup of what his character is going to be like is in the, the beginning of the film he doesn't start off looking for oil he starts off looking for um stones you know precious metals as as a as like a, a miner and then switches to oil when he like accidentally discovers it because the thing is i don't think this man gave a fuck what he was doing as long as it was making him money Right. And he just happened to like find money under his feet. Um, for anyone unaware, Daniel Day Lewis, the lead actor in this film, is a method actor, which means he stays in character for the entirety of a of a shoot, which is so much more than needs to be done. But gotta love him for it. So my first note here was um, Daniel Day Lewis definitely excavated that entire hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, you could tell that. Uh... You know, you could tell there's a lot of moisture and a lot of uh, liquids going on, which I guess is meant to represent the oil that is further down. I guarantee you that's just his sweat. I actually have a note in, in, in here that just says this movie is fucking sweaty. Yeah. And that's like, and that's uh, maybe like a little bit of the of the John Hughes. It's very Sergio Leone having the, like just the fucking caked on dirt and in this movie oil and sweat on the character. I just absolutely love. Um, mm -hmm. 
what are some other i I, i'm trying to guide this discussion in a certain way without getting to the things i want to get to too soon (laughs) so what are some other uh, standout moments for you in in this um so for those of you that don't know me personally which is 99.9 percent of you that listen um (laughs) i'm up um i majored in essentially energy business uh in college which you know penn state focused a lot on oil drilling natural gas drilling so we had a lot of history classes or history lessons on early drilling techniques, early drilling styles, you know, the history behind how the oil boomed, boom happened in the Midwest. And watching them go about the stuff that you learn about is just a really cool visual because when you learn it, you're getting fucking textbook pictures and grainy ass, uh, you know, film that is just not well done and you don't really get to have that immersion into the history of it and i think being able to see it in as beautifully uh you know beautifully made film like this is really cool to see um and especially when they have that first oil derrick that catches on fire and you know spoiler alert uh deafens plain view sun um the techniques behind both the building, the drilling, and then putting out of the fires was all stuff that I had studied on for, you know, multiple weeks, you know, throughout certain semesters. And it was really cool to see. Just uh, really well done. I want to get back to um, H.W., the right. the, the son character, in a moment. Um, what did you think of the score? Because that's something that I didn't really remember uh, from previous viewings. Because it's, it's funny, as much as like a, a music person as I am, I don't really pay too much attention to most scores. Um, at least I didn't. Na- nowadays, I'm much more attentive to it, which has been odd. But anyway, um, it's very horror movie-like. Um, yes. To the point where, where Kel was actually asking me if this was a horror movie when it first started, because it's dark and it's grimy and it's grungy, and the score really sets it up as one. Um, and That's I think... Pers- thematically in a lot of ways it is like it's meant to show the corruption and the the dark side of all this stuff the way a horror movie would but it isn't it isn't one mm-hmm. gonna uh, say? especially coming from the shining uh that yeah. stood out really early on just how uh the score was this really tense backdrop to what was going on um and i i didn't really get any horror vibes from it from it maybe just because you know i've seen it when it came out and it's just I've known what this movie is for so long, but uh, I thought it was I thought it was really additive to the tone uh, of just how fucking crazy Plainview is uh, and just the the dedication and just I'm trying to think of the right word for it, but just the just absolute brute focus and determination tenacity. Uh, yeah, tenacity is a good one. Um, I, I really liked it. It wasn't something that, like you said, like it wasn't overly noticeable. Uh, it didn't overpower really any scenes, but it was something that was a, a really nice addition. If you had to pick someone to be the good guy in this movie, who would you pick? Because obviously Plainview is terrible. Um, yeah. Paul Dano, the church leader, isn't exactly a great dude in of his own mm-hmm. right for a myriad of reasons. Um, there's a bunch of side characters who don't do anything terrible, but it's not going to do anything fantastic. Like, what are you rooting for in this I movie feel to happen? Like, it has to be HW just as 
he is the least shitty person. Like he doesn't do anything bad, but he's not, you know, overtly the, the protagonist, you know, he's not a focal point of the movie for roughly half of it. And it's not like there's this climax where he is fulfilled in any way, or he's not a typical protagonist. I don't feel comfortable calling him a protagonist because he isn't the focal point of the movie, but he's the only one that, really wasn't a piece of shit or just a throwaway character. I agreed. And I now want to transition this conversation into my take on HW. Okay. Um, and this is where you might say, I will be stretching a little bit. <laughs> um, I think upon having now seen this movie uh, very recently that it is, um, I think the, 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 the church elements and, and biblical elements are fairly obvious, but I never picked up uh, the HW character the way that I think I did in this past viewing, where he's Jesus Christ in a lot of ways, isn't he? Hmm. And I think that he really, really gets treated in that way um, pretty outright at some points. And I I want to... I want to make a, an argument at some point that Daniel Plainview is like Old Testament God, harsh and mean and focused, um, and H.W. is more like a Jesus New Testament kind of dude, because ah, it's it, it's tough to formulate all the thoughts, but like I I I. Oh, sorry, sorry. All right, so let's let's start from the top here. I'm going to be jumping around in my religious metaphors a little bit, but <laughs> now this isn't necessarily like you know. Actually, it's not at all Jesus and and God related. But the fact that he is taken by Daniel and he uses the metaphor later on in the movie when he's talking to older H.W. like like a babe in a basket. You know, that's straight up Moses, mm-hmm. right? And he raises him to like you know kind of know what's going on with the whole family business you know this is understanding what it means to be a deity (laughs) but i think there comes a like like like, he doesn't kill hw but he 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 seriously seriously hurts hw Mm -hmm. right which leads him to um send him away which feels like the death Multiple of Jesus times. in a lot of ways. Well, like when he sends him to San Francisco. Right. And then brings him back. That all felt like kind of like Easter resurrection kind of thing. And it comes directly off the back of uh, Daniel going to church and mm-hmm. um, having this whole like, re- re- you know, I'm going to use air quotes here, religious experience there. And H.W. ends up being kind of a a martyr for the cause in a lot of ways that like Jesus was in the Bible. And then he goes on um, to starting up, he wanting to start up his own new thing, kind of like Jesus starting Christianity later on. And I, and he really is the only not shit character in the entirety of the movie to the point where you could probably even say he is the only good person in the movie. And I, I think that there's a lot of like belief and faith put on his back in the way that like you would see some things coming from the Bible in that way. I see where you're coming from. It's and tough. I don't I know necessarily I'm... disagree with you. 
but I can't say that that's something that jumped out to me. I I don't want to disagree and say I I don't I can't see it because I can. It's just if that is the symbolism uh, Anderson was going for, fucking power to him because that would be. I I guess it would be very on point. It's just um, I I kind of like it, wrote down some of this haphazardly because I. I came to the decision I was going to try to make this correlation very late <laughs> into the film viewing. Um, so I bet if you gave me, you know, time and energy, which I don't feel like having, I could come up with more. Um, I do have a second thing I thought HW stood for, which I think would be a little bit easier to capture. Okay. Um, kind of just, he's like, he's like, he's like a, a, a microcosm and a metaphor for what, what Daniel Plainview is doing to this town. You know, he picks mm-hmm. it up, um, it's not his, he is going to try to bring it up and he ends up just fucking ruining it for his own game. Cause like he picks up HW cause it's some dude that he worked with died and it's a, it's a child. And then he ended up using HW basically as a marketing tool. He didn't fucking care. You know, he was just, mm-hmm. so he could say it was a family business and all that shit. Um, and then once HW became no longer useful for him, he sent him away. And much like once anyone became not useful to him in this movie, he sent them away, including the town. Um, so I think a lot of the ways that he treated HW was just the ways he treated everything as a tool, just to, as a tool, better himself. Yeah, Yeah. that's, that's definitely what I got from it. Um, I wouldn't say that there is a single action he takes in the movie that is for the betterment of others. Um, even with the baptism scene that really stood out to me. Um, I have a note here basically saying that that quote unquote exorcism scene, uh, that we see Paul Dano's character have, um, which I now I'm remembering was preceding this, uh, baptism, but that was probably the closest to horror that I saw in the movie. And I saw, thought it was very much on par, uh, with the stair scene in the shining, um, both Jack Nicholas and Paul Dano's acting and just transformation of character on screen um just right in front of your eyes was eerily similar um but that baptism scene i just the way he was just laughing along as it went um and basically in my mind him realizing that this was the final straw to completely control these people and to just be able to just unilaterally take everything he needs from them and just this was the final straw was uh, just really jumped out to me. Um, It's almost like he was laughing at the end of that baptism, uh, just laughing in the face of uh, the old man and Paul Dano's character. I think he actually mumbles to himself at the end of it. um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to build that fucking pipeline or something. something I definitely Um, remember hearing that. Yeah. It was also a hilarious series of lines because like, you know, you got Paul Dano shouting there like, say you want the blood? And you got, uh, you got Dan D. Lewis like, I want the blood. Give, <laughs> g- give me the blood. I want the blood. And it's fucking a, a hilarious juxtaposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously meant to show that this dude doesn't give a fuck about this. He's no. doing it strictly as a means to an end. Uh, when it first started, I was like, okay, like this could be, there was like a, a split second of just like, maybe this is something that he's just going on board with. Uh, and it just, it felt weird because it just didn't fit 
And then immediately it was like, oh no, this guy is just fucking me. Was there anything else that stood out to you thematically about this film? Um, not, I'd have to think about it a little bit. Um, it's just the greed aspect of it, just completely destroying a man over the course of this film. Um, I kind of wanted to think more on that point, but I just found that it's hard to say that greed is what destroyed Plainview throughout this movie because, again, he kind of doesn't have much of a, a narrative or a, a character development arc because he's pretty much this guy from the beginning. Yeah. Um, the only difference is in the beginning, he has no money. At the end, he right. has all money and is a raging alcoholic. Oh, yeah. Uh, watching him drink that bottle of what I assume is vodka, uh, that clear bottle of yeah. alcohol, I couldn't read the label, went from, wow, he's waking up still drunk, okay, he's drinking, to, oh, my God, that amount of alcohol would fucking kill me, and he is just putting it back like a motherfucker. I know, I know, like, I know you, Dad, forget it. <laughs> um, so, do you know anything about the backstory to this film? That it was loosely based off of Upton Sinclair's oil. Furthermore, Daniel Plainview is most prominently based off of an actual person, um, California oil tycoon Edward L. Doheny. Um, both were from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Both were employed by the Geological Survey and worked in Kansas. Both had tried a hand at mining before going into the oil business. Both had worked with a fellow prospector named H.B. Ailman. Um, as for other Plainview Doney connections, the bowling alley scene was filmed at Greystone Manor, a California estate that Doney had built as a presenter for as a present for his son. Uh, also, the the speech he gives in there, the uh, the milkshake speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, is based on transcripts that Edward L. Doney had said to Congress um, in regards to the Teapot Dome scandal. Um, are you familiar with the Teapot Dome scandal? Yes. Would you like to enlighten us? All right, we're going to dig back <laughs> into into high school um, fucking uh, history class here. But for anyone unaware, uh, it was a bribery scandal um, under the Harding administration from 1921 to 1923. Um, there was a lot of what? What are they? What was the what was the thing they called? Um, spoils of something. Uh, a, a spoils system, mean? basically, in which the uh, people who won elections just gave money to their fucking friends um, because there was no real checks and balances on power in terms of dishing out money. So in wow, that just sounds so familiar. I know. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> um, so secretary of the interior, um, I'm, just gonna, I'm reading this shit straight from Wikipedia at this point, cause it's going to be easier for me. Uh, secretary of the interior, Albert Bacon fall had leased Navy petroleum reserves in teapot dome, Wyoming, uh, and two locations in California to private oil companies at low rates without competitive bidding. The leases were subject of a seminal investigation by Senator Thomas J. Walsh, 
convicted of accepting bribes from the oil companies. Fall became the first presidential cabinet member to go to prison, and no one was convicted of paying the bribes. Um, before Watergate, Tubot Dome was regarded as the greatest and most sensational scandal in American politics and damaged the reputation of the Harding administration, which was already severely damaged by controversial handling of the Great Railroad Strike of 1922 and Harding's veto of the bonus bill in 1922. Um, and Congress passed subsequent legislation during to this day, giving subpoena power to the House and Senate for review of tax records of any U.S. citizen without regard to elected or appointed position nor subject to White House interference. So. There you have it, the Teapot yeah. Dome scandal. Yeah, so in, in short, basically, it was taxpayer money going directly to oil men that were close with the politicians in charge of handing out that money. Yeah, and um, all like... As yeah, loads rocks. without any chance or, or any expectation of being repaid. Um, and and leases is a huge thing that gets brought up in, in the movie because mm-hmm. um, one, of the, one of the key... I'll say moments in the in the film in terms of um, Daniel Plainview's trajectory monetarily is him turning down the offer from Standard Oil um, to sell his his three main um, what do they call them wells holes um, oil uh, wells yeah wells okay uh, because they were like you can't get your own fucking pipeline system and he was like. Bitch, yes, I can, and turn down a, a million fucking dollars, which is uh, uh, so much money back then. Yeah. Um, do you have any? Do you have any guess as to as to how much money that that was? Um, I would say that that is probably like two billion, two and a half billion dollars. Twenty-five billion. Wow. I think if my zeros are all right. Otherwise, it's two point five billion. Hold on. Um. 10, 100, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, 1 million. Yep, $25 billion. That's, yeah, that's fucking insane. Uh, he was just like, nah, fuck you, pieces don't of shit. Don't want it. Yeah, don't want Get it. Get out of here. Which, part of me gets it, uh, especially, you know, that's a big part of his character is he's going to do it himself. And he, he made that point. He's like, well, if I take your money, yeah, I'll be rich. You're saying I should spend more time with my son. I, I'm not going to do that because... Dude, just fucking useless to me. I don't give a shit about this kid. Um, but he was like, what am I going to do once I take this money? And I got to hand it to him. I agreed with him. It's like, you know what? Yeah, you could be real rich. And what are you going to have to show for it? Like, whatever you want. Build a bigger bowling alley in your basement. <laughs> Would you ever build a bowling alley in your basement? No. I suck at bowling. You know what? I'll take like- that back. If I was rich enough where if i was like jeff bezos rich sure i'd build a fucking bowling alley in my basement why not but if i had reasonable wealthy money no nah, never yeah i uh no i don't i just if i was to pick a sport thing to put in my basement it wouldn't it wouldn't be bowling oh yeah uh, i mean i'd put an olympic sized swimming pool in my basement before i put in two bowling lanes yeah fuck that shit um I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I have here in my notes worth bringing up. Um, uh, not really. Do you think um I I I had written down here as a question because I couldn't think of it at the time and haven't revisited my notes since I finished watching the movie. Mm-hmm. But when um when Daniel Plainview kills the guy pretending to be his brother, 
Did you see, did you find any symbolism in that? I wrote down Cain and Abel question mark, but I couldn't make it work in a way that I thought uh, meant anything. I mean, I'm not uh, verily familiar with Cain and Abel just because uh, I've never read the Bible directly. I just know the story from it being, you know, summarized to me. I don't know. I I feel like that was more of him looking at someone who, yeah, he, they were friends. They were close. You know, him being a brother was a big part of why they were able to get so close. But it, it never was a you know a major point to me that was holding them together. He kind of just viewed him as someone who didn't work his way to the top and was just trying to make money off of Plainview, take advantage of Plainview, and that was kind of something that was just un unacceptable to him uh you know he would never be the one being taken advantage of he always had to have the upper hand and despite how much he liked the guy and uh was you know fond of him that just was not gonna fly um yeah uh i could kind of see why you would want to connect Cain and abel i just don't know it closely enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I mainly fell apart because Cain and Abel are literally brothers, and these guys weren't. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I also, in addition to what you said, I thought I was also being a, 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 a foreshadowing of how how much this guy hates uh, uh, being what he perceives as uh, double cross or stabbed in the back. Which, when his son comes to him later in the film saying, "I want to start my own business," and and he's like, fuck you, you're a bastard and never loved you. You're not even mine. Get the fuck out of here, no, you no, fucking no. orphan. He's worse than a bastard. Worse than a bastard. Right, right. Oh, an orphan. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there's that too. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you think of the whole ending of this movie? Paul Dano's um, desperate plea for money, him selling out like a little bitch, and then ultimately getting murdered. Spoiler alert for a 13-year-old movie. <laughs> um, I thought it was one of those where it kind of just brings us right back around to just the messages. Everyone is the same. Everyone is just trying to do whatever it takes to succeed and find success and whatever means necessary and you know paul dano's character throughout the movie was having these fake exorcisms to you know get people to believe that god gave him this power and he was some prophet from god and just like plain view he was just trying to take advantage of everyone around him just to put himself ahead and you know he had this moral high ground above him this whole movie and quickly plain view just tore that down just like he tears down everyone else around him um i wish i could make a, a more thematic uh connection to that you know something a little more overarching but that's basically what i saw yeah, he was he was certainly doing his best to cling to his morals, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of things I want to say here that could be again brought back to this whole God thing because I mean, God and religion is a huge part of this movie. Literally, because Paul Dana was a fucking priest, but also I I think thematically, just despite how poorly I explained myself previously, but you know. Paul Dano's character, God failed, or religion, I should say, religion failed him just the same way as it um, 
as as is a failed uh Daniel Plainview, you know, he's mm-hmm. they're 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 both in awful spots for competitive or uh, or for uh varying reasons, but they've both been failed by the system they put themselves in, both with religious connotations and Paul Dana went to I don't know why on earth he would go to um Daniel Plainview, a man who clearly fucking hates him and rubbed his face in mud, but he chose to go to someone that he thought he had some level of familiarity with. But the thing is, Daniel Plainview had gained so much power and influence since that time that he was willing to go along with his bullshit when he was coming up, you know, and he needed to, but that wasn't a necessary part of his, uh, his person, his personage at the point in time, which Paul Dano actually approached him. Like they they had strayed so far, and the 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 power that Daniel Plainview welt uh, or or um, what wielded had gained so much that he could literally just fucking kill him. Yeah, I thought that was a just a beautifully acted scene throughout. You know, oh, from the amazing. second Dano comes in to that final shot of just Plainview sitting there next to him. Uh, I thought that was just uh, one of, if not the most powerful mo- movie, uh, God, moments in that movie. Seeing uh, also the one of the one of my favorite little little bits of, uh, uh, from that scene is is watching Daniel Day Lewis stand up and be all super fucking drunk, shaking and walking for a mm-hmm. few steps, which was ridiculous. <laughs> um, it's it's like I. I love the scene so much. I love it so much because there's so much that that goes on with it. You have this guy with with Dano who'd been clinging to this thing. He'd been clinging to um, I forget the name of the guy, but his his property, uh, something with a B. Doesn't matter. Yeah, I forget. Um, Brandy, Blandy, Blandy sounds right. Blandy. He'd been been clinging to to that to Blandy's strip, as I think they called it, for years i mean i mean decades at least probably probably 20 years cons- uh, thereabouts maybe 15 tough to doesn't matter um mm-hmm. even clinging to that as as like as this modicum of hope uh this this small um thing he could fall back on a safety net of, of sorts um and he he goes there to to cash in on it this once like prized possession and not only is Plainview not fucking interested, he forces him to sell out his entire belief system and then tells him he already took what he wanted from it anyway. Mm-hmm. That everything it had, the, the only reason it had value in the first place has already been decimated from it. That was brutal. That was just so brutal. And then just strikes him down at the end of it. Mm hmm. Just the ultimate display of power he has over him. Just he knows he controlled him, you know, from the start and just was never going to let up that control and just crushed him in the end. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's, I'm going to try my, <laughs> try on the fly to make another religious um, uh, metaphor out of this. Dano acts as a priest. He acts as a mouth of God, but he has no no actual bearing on anything that's happening. Plainview's pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. You know, Plainview's not literally God, but he certainly is in this situation the God character. 
you know, viewed himself as that by the end. Yeah, but also like in in a in a metaphorical in a metaphorically literal sense, like Dano had been holding on to this thing out of hope, and he'd been a mouthpiece for this thing. But at the end of it, he has he had none he had none of the power. He was he was mm-hmm. lying through his teeth, and and everything that he w- tried to be and wanted to be an influencer and a gainer of following. Uh, or really, 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 what that is is just a gainer of power. Fucking Plainview did, and he took the only thing he had um, to fall back on right from under his feet, because Dana was a false prophet. Fucking bitch, he was a charlatan. Yeah, could never accept it though from the start. No, neither of them really accepted themselves for who they really were. Oh, um, yeah, they were both in deep denial, just in different ends. Mm-hmm. God, these two just... I get that this movie was essentially just those two back and forth for you know the vast majority, but even if you... It's just they were so overpowering. Uh, any scene either of them was in, you know, which was the vast majority, just they overtook them completely. Like they controlled the scenes they were in. And I feel like if there was more characters and you know, it it wasn't just those two for the vast majority, they still would just be these just huge presences. Um, And I'm just, I'm really happy that both of these guys got a lot of recognition in this for the back and forth they had. Yeah, this was a, Great, great performances by both. Yeah. Uh, anything else to say about this before we move on? Yeah, uh, I have some technical stuff. Um, we have it. The scene where uh, Dano approaches Plainview and then he just beats him down, slaps him around, drags him through the mud, just throws mud in his face. Love All it. that was real. Uh, you know, I bet. that was cut back. You know, Daniel Day Lewis really was slapping him every take really dragged him by the hair. Those were genuine screams of pain from Dano. Um, you know, he really was choking on mud at the end. And, you know, both of those guys just get so, in, just get so connected with their characters that they were both all about it. Um, and you could tell just how well done that scene was. You know, I don't, I don't want to say that I wouldn't have noticed if, you know, they shorted the slaps or, you know, had some just tricks to make it work, but it came through uh, in the end. Um, and then some other just simple technical stuff, like the uh, when they filled up those barrels with dynamite to put out the uh, the well fire. That's you know still to this day. Well, maybe not to this day, but that is how they had to put out well fires. You know, every time set off an explosion to suck the oxygen out of the area. And that was the only way to really cap them um, and get them under control. Uh, and that was really cool to see, you know, just the second they were opening up those dynamite crates, that was like, oh, well, that's what they're doing. Um, and that was just really cool to watch. I appreciate all of these things. Yeah. Thank um, you for giving them mention. Yeah, no problem. Any other, uh, any other things you want to mention about this? Um, not, not in particular. Uh, no, not really. I again, I I think I I know people might be turned off by the incredibly uh, lengthy runtime, but fuck, I think this movie is paced so well it really goes right on by. 
but that could just be me. Um, mm-hmm. I love this movie. Uh, are you ready to give it a star rating out of five? I am. I am. Um, I'm going to give this uh, three and a half stars. I'm going to. I'm going to go slightly above. I'm going to give it four. Ooh. Love this movie. That fits. You are a big fan. Yeah, it tracks. Shall we move on to your selection, Beautiful Boy? Uh, yeah, let's do that. All right, this was your... Actually, hold on, let me read off the facts, and then I'll, I'll hand it over to you. Uh, Beautiful Boy from 2018, starring Steve Carell, Maura Tierney, Jack Dylan Glazer, and somehow doesn't mention Timothy Chalamet. Weird. <laughs> um, he's in the movie a lot. Uh, it he's is... Uh, character. Yeah, some might say. Uh, directed by Felix von Geingen, uh, written by <laughs> Luke Davies, and Felix von Groeningen, um, and a few other people, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's based on the best-selling pair of memoirs from a father and son duo. The named their characters are the names of the people in real life, David and Nick Sheff. Um, it was nominated for a single Golden Globe, which let me pull up who that was because I didn't think to do that earlier. Timothy Chalamet mm-hmm. for uh, best actor in a supporting role. It had an estimated budget of 25 million and cumulative worldwide gross of 16.6 million so not a success wow. yeah yeah I knew, it, I, I knew it wasn't a commercial success i didn't know it was a commercial failure wow. yeah i didn't realize that either i didn't realize it lost eight and a half million dollars that's not good Such um, a shame. wow all right corwin tell us about what you thought of this movie yeah, so this uh, this was a movie that uh, I hadn't seen going in. Um, I'm a huge fan of Tim- Timothy Chalamet, and I really want to go back and finish watching his filmography. So and this was the top of the list. So when we kind of jumped on uh, having to pick movie titles uh, really off the top of our heads, this was literally just the first film on my list and went with it. Um, wow, this just... This is a film that breaks you down. Uh, this is just so so much of an emotional roller coaster um it's one of those where it is just up and down throughout uh it it just it tears you down you got these little glimpses of hope you're really starting to feel for these guys and you know feel this pride and uh devotion to their performances and then everything just collapses around you and you're back to just uh you know you feel you feel ashamed of the characters like you feel the situations they're in, you feel for them and you are just, you're in it. You're right there with them. Um, and I thought both Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet, uh, ace these performances, uh, very different acting styles, uh, from both Paul Dano and, uh, Daniel day Lewis, but you know, equal, equally moving roles, a uh, little, well, I w- want to say a little, uh, for most of the movie, it's exceptionally less, um, What's the what's the right word I'm looking for? Uh, I, I don't want to say powerful because that's not it. Uh, intensive might be it. Um, but regardless, um, just I didn't realize it was going to be this much of a a downer type movie. Um, so I apologize for that. Yeah, I'm not going to apologize. Fuck that. It's a good movie. <laughs> well, we have competing takes because I fucking hated this. Really. Not only that, I'm kind of mad you made me watch this. I really, really did not enjoy this movie at all. Why not? Um, Let's hear the hot takes. All right, so, wow, where to start with this? Um, 
at no point did it give you a reason to care for anything that was happening. Uh, so my thing about sad movies is my thing that also goes for happy movies. I understand that certain things that happen are empirically sad, just the way I understand that some things that happen are empirically happy. Hallmark has built an entire television channel, which is insane from a greeting card company, um, <laughs> around taking just like blankly generic happy moments and putting them on screen because people recognize them as happy and enjoy that feeling. This is the same thing, but with sadness. I don't give a shit about Timothy Chalamet's character or Steve Carell's character, not because like this isn't a sad story, and I'm sure it's a very sad story, and I'm sure that the book does a way better job of, of, of telling you about them, but the thing is, like, I don't know anything about these fucking dudes outside of, like, the fact that um, apparently, I guess Timothy Chalamet's character, like, liked writing at some point, and is also a halfway decent artist, but, like, that's not anything, like, they, there was the character development was negative all this movie cared about was that you understood Timothy Chalamet was on drugs and Steve Carell was kind of sad about that, but was trying to do the right thing. And I, I get the situation is sad. I don't fucking care. I, <laughs> I, I just don't. Um, in addition, this is a very fine point, but in addition to that, I thought that the, um, uh, the makeup in this film was ludicrous. Timothy Chalamet yeah, came out of every some, meth binge looking flawless. Like he, uh not not quite. But outside ahead, of outside of his teeth a little bit, um near uh, like only in the last 20 minutes. And the track marks that again they only show in the last 20 minutes, which is bizarre because he's wearing short sleeves like all the time. Um like his face is like in perfect condition, like the whole time. Well, I'm like, as, why don't you have pimples and shit? As far as the track marks go, um, I thought that was uh, they they did mention it in the movie how that wasn't the heroin wasn't something that he moved on to until he went to college. Um, Which I, also fuck that college scene. The fact that he sat there and read a Bukowski poem. Which, oh my god, I hate that so much. Bukowski <laughs> is the fucking poster child of edgy teenage bullshit. And if you like Bukowski, you fucking suck. You wear all black and think about how the world hates you and God's real, but he hates you. But you're an atheist and that doesn't make any sense because you're a fucking edgy teenage loser. And not only that, but the whole class was nodding oh along. My god. Oh my god. I hated that scene so much and he's sitting there with a smoke Josh, smile like have you never been around a group of teenagers that all are just blindly following that edgy teenage you know rhetoric that's exactly how they would have acted in that situation because they all think that way <sighs> just made me sad you are just you are a rolling stone of just hatred with this movie <laughs> <laughs> you just you got yourself in a mood and you just I could totally see you just crossing your arms, looking at the screen, just going, nope, this ain't it. Nah, fuck <laughs> this. This movie fucking sucks. Point three stars. Hey, I, thought it was, I thought it was really well done. I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, okay, you could get, you know, with the makeup where I thought I noticed it getting it getting worse throughout the movie, you know, as the the use of meth and the other drugs increased, so did the you know, the, they made the skin more pale. He lost weight. Um, Timothy Chalamet, they uh, they shot all the uh, later scenes first. They basically shot it in reverse order. Uh, and they had Chalamet come into this uh, after losing 25 pounds, which, you know, if 
you know what Timothy Charlemagne normally looks like. He's not Skinny exactly dude. a guy that can lose 25 pounds out of nowhere. Um, so I, I did notice those things. Uh, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was fine. You know, it, it wasn't anything like the wire where you see these guys just completely fucked up and you see the the actual side effects of long-term meth and heroin use. Which is funny because um, Andre Royo is in this movie. Right. I noticed that. Out, I, was, I was like, I was is that so fucking happy Bubbles? Yeah. I was like, wow, Bubbles got himself together. I'm proud of that guy. Like, um, is all Andre Royo here to do is tell us about the dangers <laughs> of meth? Yeah, right. Um, I don't know. I thought this film was a really well done introspective on the relationship a father has with his son um, and the relationship that they have when you're going through those, those, you know, that part of your life where you are an edgy teen and, you know, you know what's best and you're just going around trying to do everything for yourself and you, you hate your parents. They're all wrong and all that. Um, and, you know, I, I can't say that I've, experience the kind of addiction issues that timothy chalamet you know nick chef went through um but yeah i mean i i went through the teenage and college years i know you know some parts of that and was able to relate to you know a degree uh with what was going on and uh i connected really well to these characters um you know it was something i thought both of these guys did a tremendous job uh displaying that um you know, it, it wasn't a perfect movie by any means, but I, I, I really just straight up think you're fucking wrong. Uh, <laughs> I thought this was really well done. I am just so pleased with the performances of both, and uh, yeah, I think this is a relationship movie, uh, and it was a, a beautiful relationship. And someone um, have to read fucking shitty poetry. Get over it. I'll, first off, if you have ever read Charles Bukowski. I hate you. Um, and that's not true because everyone should read Charles Bukowski to know why he sucks. But moving forward, um, I think I think seeing how Steve Carell's character reacts to his contact points with his son is really interesting. I genuinely mm-hmm. think that is probably the best part of this movie because if you've never had to deal with this type of situation, which I'll say, I don't know, 95% of the world hasn't, thankfully. Although that number is probably getting smaller every day. Yeah. Uh, thanks, opioid crisis. Um, then, like, I don't know how I would react if, like, my son was like, Dad, I need $300. And, like, I don't see him very often. And maybe if I give him $300, he'd stay. So, like, I, 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 I found the actual, like, decision-making process of how Steve Carell was handling the whole situation to genuinely be interesting. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the only things keeping me along for the ride. I thought it was uh, very genuine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like you go into a lot of movies and you want these characters to be making perfect decisions because you can look at it objectively and you can see what is you know the correct thing to do, the incorrect thing to do. And I thought this was uh, a really good way of showing that when you're this emotionally connected, you don't know what the right thing to do is. You don't know if the right thing is to, you know, bring them in, put them under your wing, support them, you know, maybe let them be independent, figure it out on their own, or just cut them out and force them to face the reality of their situation. Um, and I mean, addiction is just such a powerful disease to have. Um, and, you know, you see these signs throughout the movie where they, 
talk about you know the main points of what it's like on a NA and AA where you know this isn't something you control this isn't something that you can cure this is a disease you fight one day at a time and the terms that all of these characters come to face throughout the movie is you know they said this in the movie where you know the one lady was saying oh we have a an 85 or an 80% success rate and then later on you know another doctor goes and said no it's it's in the single digits this is this is the reality of people don't just get better and wow i just i don't remember where i was trying to take this point um, that's okay you ever to just go- start a sentence and just hope you figure it out oh like 90 percent of the sentences i say <laughs> to, to go back to that one scene you were talking about though um where the the woman was like we have an 80 percent." she said the, the the line was something like um he steve Carr was like what's your success rate and the woman said on the high end like 75 percent on the low end I don't even remember what she said. Like 25%. Like 25%. And Kel and I had to pause the movie and go, what the fuck is she talking yeah. about? Because what does that I, mean? Nothing. It means nothing. <laughs> um, if I was in Corral, I would have left. I would have been like, no, this is garbage talk. You are giving yeah. me the garbage talk. But you look at these people and they say, hey, we can fix your son. And that is the only thing he wants in the world. And he's going to believe him. You know, it's, it's just one of those things where you want that to be the reality and it, it may not be, but you're going to believe it anyway, because that helps you sleep at night. Um, yeah, I did. There, was, there were some things that just, uh, there was one point where I had to pause the movie because I just like that. I just got so taken out of it. Um, when Steve, well, I think it's when Timothy Chalamet's character, Nick chef comes back, uh like high for the first time or he comes back to the house at some point and um the father uh steve carell just starts screaming and i couldn't hear anything other than michael scott and i had to stop the movie and just laugh to myself for a minute kel was also laughing at that scene (laughs) oh man i get why steve carell you know post office is really just these you know mellow toned down characters just very laid back very you know contempt uh contempt all that because anything more than that and it's just no one else is going to be see, be able to see anything other than michael scott yeah i actually uh i would like to plug the movie Foxcatcher for that reason phenomenal film that doesn't oh, feel like Carell in the slightest um visually it, it helps that they do a lot to make him not really look like Steve. Yeah, a lot of prosthesis, which looks great, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about their their choice to end the movie halfway through and then go, ha ha, nope. I liked it. I I actually did like it. Um, I kind of was like, wow, this this was a this was a quick little movie. I, I wasn't really paying attention to time, and you know what? I I like that it's it kind of grounded it because that's what happens, you know, like. People aren't, you know, happy go lucky after a single arc and everything goes back to normal and there's a happy ever after ending. Uh, you know, that's not reality. And I'm really glad that this film was able to portray that uh in a in a impactful way. I like the idea in theory. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem is I hated this movie so much that like by the hour mark when this happens. I was like, oh, thank God. 
I was like, it has to have been like an hour and 40 minutes. And I paused, I paused the movie to see where the timer was. And it said one mm -hmm. hour and like six minutes in. And I was like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, and then it's like, he's going to get hooked on drugs again. Like I was thinking, I was thinking to myself, like if I was in the theater, I'd have been like getting ready to leave. Cause I've been like, mm -hmm. yes, it's been the hour and a half that I thought this would be. And it was like, nope, hour left. Um, what do you think about fair, that? that, that I did that at a point in There Will Be Blood. Because that movie is fucking long. I know, but I love it. Um, what, what do you think about the scene of Steve Carell doing Blow? I thought I really liked it, um, both from the way they portrayed it and uh, the action itself. Wanting to connect to his son and you know know what he's going through and have that experience because you know immediately preceding this he was talking with the doctor who gave him the the real life numbers and the real life prognosis and you know knowing that he wasn't going to be able to connect to his son and understand what he was going through unless he experienced it was you know I could easily see you know a father doing that to be able to help his son better and uh, I I I like the scene through and through I don't mm. I want to hold my tongue. Uh, I think I would have liked it more if it had come up again in any way later on. I think the scene yeah. in of itself is fine. My only issue is that it didn't get brought up or you didn't even get like a reaction from Steve Carell mm -hmm. about like how it felt verbally anyway. Like, cause yeah. all these, the next scene is him just like pass out on the floor, like getting up and then they like, go and going about his business. Like it wasn't it. And, th and th I think that's like a good, microcosm for like how I feel about this whole movie is like I'm sure the story is great and I'm sure the book does a lot better of a job conveying it I wasn't happy with the filmmaking of it because you don't get a like I think a better version of this film is a version in which Steve Carell is a lot more of the guiding force of this film in, in its structure because I didn't, you don't even really get it until like halfway through, at least I didn't like that. He, that he's, he is a freelance writer, like, uh, like, and does interviews and shit, like, like tells stories because there was a brief moment in the beginning where his son was like, how's New York? And Steve Carell was like, good. I had a good interview. And my dumb ass thought he was talking about a fucking job interview. Mm -hmm. And later on, I was talking about being a freelance writer, but he's doing interviews and shit and he's writing stories. And Oh, all right. I, now I'm getting, he's a, a freelance reporter and this would have been a way more interesting movie if they had it set up where steve carell was doing a lot of the like legwork for the narration by like you know interviewing doctors the way that he did with that one doctor or like interviewing uh, uh meth and heroin acts like he did with that one girl mm -hmm. interviewing um people in recovery interviewing things like that confronting like like being literal narration where you get dialogue behind it and then showing the timothy chalamet stuff because i thought there was just like this it felt like there was this weird disconnect between the two stories being told like they never really came together in like a functional way and that's the part that drove me nuts about it because the reason the movie felt so long to me because this felt this felt like a four-hour long movie is that the whole thing was just so disjointed like i didn't feel any real flow and they made it kind of tough to tell when it was flashback moments like when they smoked that joint together i still am not sure if that was supposed to be present day or a flashback 
Like, it was weird. And in part, it's because I'm also going to blame the the art, the makeup department for that, too. Because if they made Timothy Chalamet look way more strung out, um, or at least accentuate the fact that he did all that weight loss, because it really, really was hard to tell because he's already skinny, um, then it makes it a little bit more obvious. But, like, it it, it lessens it somewhat. Yeah, uh, I don't just... I, I, wow. Wow. Um, <laughs> yes. I completely disagree. Uh, I thought, you know, your complaint is that it's not a different movie. Um, My I complaint is that the way that they prefer, chose to do it wasn't effective. I think it's not effective in the story you wanted them to tell. I think it is effective in the story that they were trying to put on the screen, which is a father trying to save his son, not write an article about his son. So if this, you know, was him writing a piece about drug addiction, you know, like he does after the the finish of the movie or towards the end of the movie. Yeah. Okay. I could get why they would want to show him more, you know, taking this from a professional perspective, you know, interviewing people, taking notes, you know, getting these experiences. But in the film, he's just trying to, you know, throughout the entire film, his only goal is to save his son and get him clean. And I feel like this wasn't him trying to work. This was just him desperately trying to connect and find ways to, to solve this problem. Um, and it was just a, a different way of approaching it. Uh, and I feel like the, the film would have been very, very different. And I don't think I would have connected to it much, you know, anywhere close to the same way if this was, you know, something more of like a spotlight where you know, the film spotlight where they're trying to write a story, not find the solution. I, I'm not saying necessarily that he needs to be like literally writing the story and conducting these in like, you know, the, the full movie needs to be interviews. My, my, my problem is. <sighs> like, he's not, I, like, like bringing his profession into this, like his profession. No, that, that there's no good narrative storyline that it's actually like going, like there's no narration it, it at, at, all going on throughout the movie it's just a series of steve carell having phone calls with his ex-wife and like trying to have conversations in diners with his son and then his son just keep doing drugs and then calling his dad all sad and stuff and it's like i i get the fundamental point behind those things I get that Steve Carell is a dad who doesn't know what to do and that his son is an alcohol is a, is an addict and that's not something that can just be solved. You know, addiction is a serious illness, but that can't be the only thing that because then it's just repetitive because I, with every phone call with Steve Carell to his ex-wife where he's like, I don't know. I failed. And she's like, you didn't fail. It's okay. We're trying our best here. It's like every time that phone call happens, so that phone call happens like four times in the movie. It's like, yeah, I know we get it. Like the narrative part of the story can't be you saying to us, I'm trying. This is hard because we, we see that part of it. like that part. We get just from the visuals. The part I want to hear is I want to I want to hear the things that we're not getting the chance to see. You know, I, I want to hear Steve Carell running through like, what are my options with a doctor? Kind of like what he did with the thing to give some weight behind the decisions he ultimately makes. Cause I think that's the most interesting part of Steve Carell's character decision wise is like, what's he going to do? How did he get that information? In addition to how is he coupling that with how to best care for his son? 
you know, because on the on in, in the way I'm looking at it now, it's just like I'm not giving you three hundred dollars. You know why? I'll buy you food. Great choice. Great mm-hmm. choice. Totally makes sense. But then it doesn't work, and then and then it's just like, all right, we're doing a different thing next time. And it's like it's and it's like, how do you feel about that? Like like how did him turning you away in that way make you feel? Like how what what did what do you know having come away from that and what do you what are you going to learn to do next you know like i want to know how steve carell's emotions are through the movie that can be guided by information because i'm not getting any of it and the only part of timothy chalamet's character i'm getting is that addiction is hard which yeah like of course again very serious problem um very serious illness but like outside of that i i think we get more from timothy chalamet's character because they give him a little bit of a backstory like he likes writing and he's something of a good artist and like his dad saw potential in him when he was a kid and he feels like he's failing his dad and it's not some the image that he wants like that's more it's not a lot but it's more um but i i i just want there to be more of i keep saying the word narr- uh uh narrative but i'm i'll put it this way i'm most upset that i didn't connect to this movie because I think that there's a better movie in the bones of this movie than what we got. Um, again, not- like I, I disagree, but I, I can't say I, I disagree because I, I felt the things you're saying you missed out on, but I'm not disagreeing with, yeah, you know, there are things they could have done that would have made this a more compelling, um, you know, widespread, you know, uh, something that more people would have been able to co- connect to. Um, sorry, it's you could say about a lot of movies, right? But I was was about to say, it's it's not like a Hallmark movie in that, like, look, Stacy, like, no one gives a shit that, like, you bought a new house, that's not a whole movie, Hmm. like, fuck you, it's not that, you know, where they're just like making it all feel good all the time. There's a there's a story in this one, the fact, like, they have not just one book, they have two books, there's two books, yeah, um. First for 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 source info. So like, again, obviously a story here. This one was more heavily based on the son's book, uh, Tweak, than it was on the father's book, uh, A Beautiful Boy. Um, so I think that's why it may be focusing on more of the addiction and handling the addiction side of it than it is, you know, Steve Carell's character, uh, David, you know, searching for these answers. But you know, I. It's one of those things where when you're making a, you know, relatively, you know, short film, 100, I think it was like 138 minutes, something like that. It's a two hour long movie. Yeah. um, That's a lot of, that's a lot of book to fit in there. Um, And a lot of book. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's just, this is a a movie that's more of a emotional experience than it is a a narrative retelling. and you connect to it or you don't and you know you're getting both sides of it here (laughs) (laughs) yeah really this is this is by far the most apart we've been on a film it's not even close yeah like we are relatively within you know half a point one point for everything we i think we've been within half a point for everything we've you know seen so far i feel like we're gonna have a pretty pretty distinct difference in uh scores at the end of this well, before we get there, do you have any uh, final uh, final takeaways or thoughts on the uh, on on Beautiful Boy? 
Um, yeah, just the the final thing. Uh, every time I watch a Timothy Chalamet movie, um, he just strikes me as someone who is going to be just the actor of our generation. Um, and I I don't want to say that lightly. I genuinely think that he is able to portray emotion better than most anyone I've seen at his age. And I just can't wait to see him have, you know, deeper and deeper roles, which is going to be hard because he's, he's taken on some big ones so far. Um, again, I can't wait for Dune. Ugh. What's your, what's your favorite Timothy Chalamet movie so far? Um, call me by your name. Yeah, me too. Love that I, fucking movie. I, that, you know, that movie just took me off my feet. I love that movie so much. I think I would pick it just because I want to talk about it, um, which may happen in the future. But spoiler alert, that is that is a perfect score in my book. Yeah, no, I fucking love that movie. Oh, mm. so good. Oh, to be gay in Italy. In the- oh, yeah, that I just <laughs> I just want to go back and live in 1985 in northern Italy and just yep. Just being uh, Jewish and gay. Yep. It's all you need. <laughs> it's all you need in life. Um I don't think I have anything anything left to to say on the matter. Um I'm looking through see if I can find anything fun uh to bring up about it, but not really. The most interesting piece of trivia I could find here is the one that you mentioned, Timothy Chalamet losing his twenty five pounds. Um which again, my god, what twenty five pounds did he have to lose? <laughs> but uh yeah, no, I'm I, I've said my piece. Shall uh shall we go to, to ratings then? Yeah, I want to hear what your score was first. All right. Um this is out of five. Yes. Uh, gonna give it a one. Wow. I'm gonna give it a four. A solid four. <laughs> I uh, love this movie. Well, folks. <laughs> <laughs> take your viewings and let yep. us know where you stand on this um we can we can be reached as you may know at juicing pod um, on twitter and juice the numbers at gmail.com via the emails uh we will announce what next monday's films will go are going to be uh, on the thursday episode when we discuss the draft don't forget to listen to that episode before the draft so you can hear uh corwin's mock drafts uh, as well as what we think might happen by ways of trades and other shenanigans. Um, and yeah, anything left to say before we get out of here, Corwin? Um, Josh, you suck at watching movies. Uh, that's all I got. Uh, I'll take it in stride. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye. <laughs>